Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Passover principles governing the migration of the firstborn son. And we were dealing, using as a case study, the Passover that's recorded in the book of Exodus chapter 12. We haven't got to the passage yet. We've been doing some preliminary background information to understanding Passover and principles governing it. And so how we can extrapolate those principles to apply in our contemporary day to govern every phase of transition or movement that you and I would make from one phase of God's dealings with us to the, to the next. And this is spiritual, it could literally be applied to any form or expression of migration. And um, it's for us, Egypt is a house of bondage. I, I taught you that Egypt represents an illegal or an inaccurate system of church that is designed to hold the sons of God captive. It's limiting in two respects. It's limiting in that it inculcates an inaccurate identity. And it it fosters misguided purpose. Those two things must be redeemed. Who we are, identity and purpose, what to do, have got to be redeemed. So if you're in Egypt for 430 years as an Israelite, your identity is slave. Your purpose is, I take bricks being driven by a slave taskmaster, and I build an empire for a heathen king. Right? So both who I am and what I do is totally misapplied. It's totally wrong. It's inaccurate. When God speaks to Pharaoh, he says, in taking Israel out of Egypt, he says, let my son go, let my firstborn son go, that he might serve me. So two issues, service is purpose, and firstborn sonship is identity. What am I taking out of Egypt? I'm taking Israel out of Egypt to restore an identity. I'm breaking slavery. And I want to restore sonship. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you from misapplied, misdirected activity. I'm making bricks to build pyramids, etc. Right? And I'm going to release you. Let my people go. Let my firstborn son go. Note the words God uses. There's an emphasis on identity. What I'm extracting from Egypt is sonship. What I'm going to lead my people out is out from slavery into an accurate um, mentality of who they are in me. Right? But then once they get that right, they're going to serve me or worship me or do my bidding, fulfill my purpose in a land which I have prepared for them and promised to them an inheritance. Canaan was the inheritance. I'm going to lead them to possess a domain in the natural. I'm going to make them a standard in the nations of the earth. And through them, I will effect my purposes 
not just for them only, but for the rest of the entire world. We know that Israel failed that mandate in that they rejected the Christ when he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus came to redeem, but he was rejected by his own. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the, the sons of God. Acts 7 says that Israel was the church in the wilderness. Their wilderness journeys was the phase after the exit from Egypt. And so it describes them as the church in the wilderness. Journeying to a place of inheritance. You and I too are also on a journey. What is our destination? Our destination is Christ. Our destination is to be like Him in all respects and to fulfill His purpose. He is our inheritance. Like they were the church in the wilderness journeying to that position, we too today, the church, is on a path of migration to a place where we can honestly say we've accessed our inheritance in God. Our Father is our inheritance. We too have inherited a name, which is Son. And with that comes a whole lot of responsibilities that are expressions of our inheritance. And this, I've isolated at least ten areas after these two. After you come into your inheritance as God is as your Father, you know who you are, he is, you are His Son, He is your Father, you've inherited Him as Father, and you've inherited an identity which is Son, once that identity of your sonship uh, 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 mandate is in place, then God gives to you a whole range of aspects that you must steward in this life that are part of your inheritance in God. And when we did the one session on firstborn sonship, we cataloged all of these, like the nations of the earth, that we've inherited the earth, the meek shall inherit the earth, that we can inherit the kingdom. Right? It's the Father's good privilege to give us the, the kingdom. We inherit salvation. We inherit eternal life. Remember these things? We inherit immortality. Right? We inherit the right to steward the earth and its vast resources. But none of that will be given to you if the first is not in place. First is your primary inheritance is God is your Father. If you know who your Father is and who you are as a Son, once identity is established and you live a life of total obedience to the dictates of your father, whatever he says, I do it, then God gives you a sphere of rule, a metron of rule and authority that he will give into your hands to, to steward. But we lack. We're not, we're not ruling. We're not, we're not stewarding inheritance in so many areas. And when I analyze it diagnostically, you can trace it back to this issue. People don't know who they are. Right? You can claim God to be your father, but you're not listening to anything he says. A son will obey the dictates of his father's voice. What did John, God say concerning uh, Jesus said in the, book, in the gospel of John concerning his father? I only do the things that he tells me. I only say the things and I do the things that I see him do. I say the things that I hear him say. So a son is basically a totally committed to the will of his father. And I want to encourage you, brethren, unless you secure that resolve 
internally within your heart and mind. You are not going to manage anything for God. That's the sad reality. It's like inheritance is here, but it can't be given because you're still a child. If Galatians 4 says, the child, so long as the heir, everyone say the heir. So you are, you are, you are positioned for it, but your mentality is far too childish. God says, I can't give you anything to steward. You can't come into your own. You can't come into a sphere of, of metron, to a sphere of rule, to a sphere of management of spiritual realities, simply because so long as the heir is a nepios, as long as the heir is a child, he differs, listen carefully, he differs no more than a what? A slave. What were they in Egypt? Slaves. Were, did they have an inheritance? Yes. Canaan was promised to Abram in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 that this land I will give to you and to your descendants for forever. But you are dislocated, far removed from that reality because a pharaohic system has inculcated a mentality of slavery within you and you live as a slave, far removed from purpose, you will never access it. But God is, listen, listen carefully, God is taking us out from a slave mentality. And he wants to baptize us with this truth. You are my son. Is God your father? Answer me internally in your heart. Is God your father? Now quickly, 90% of us will readily say, yes, I know he is. I'm not doubting your salvation. What I'm doubting is where you are in it. For, for most people, it will suffice to come to church like we've had today, sing a few songs, engage the brothers socially, relate to everyone. You've got no uh, bitterness issues. You love everyone. It's fine. But you, when you leave these doors, you will not subject your entire life to a life of obedience to every dictate that the Father says. If that's the case... The revelation is that you have not grown up yet. You're probably still a nepios. You're not going to hell. If you die, you will go to heaven. The sad reality is that in this life, you will never come into fullness and access all the inheritance issues that God has graciously bestowed upon you. Now, who wants to live that life? I certainly don't want to live that life. Who wants to hold your inheritance and handle what God has given to you? Yes, we all do. Not so? We all do. Escaping Egypt, the exodus of Israel from Egypt is not a nice Bible story. The Bible says everything that was written aforetime was written for our what? Our learning, for our instruction. That we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Amen? Might have hope. And the, that, that narrative, that historical truth, it actually did occur. But it occurred, the scripture says, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, it occurred for your benefit. Imagine, all of that was written for our learning. So what we are doing in the series, we are saying, okay, that happened. What can we learn? They had an inheritance, which was a physical allotment, Canaan. They were subjected to slavery for 430 years. God had to extrapolate them, lead them, so that they can access what they what, they, what was determined for them in God. That process was uh, deferred for them. It was deferred. What should have taken 11 days 
took 40 years simply because of ill preparedness, a lack of faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, verse uh, uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4, they did not enter the land because they did not mix faith with what they have heard. Therefore, they did not enter because of unbelief. Now, your faith, the capacity to believe God, unbelief and, and, um, and, uh, and fear. You know the story. They saw the giants and they appraised the land. They appraised their capacity in terms of what they saw in the giants. And they concluded this. The ten spies did. They said, we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. Therefore, we are in their sight. Notice, they did not get an email from the giant saying, we see you as grasshoppers. They first said this, we are like grasshoppers in whose sight? In our own sight. Therefore, we are in their sight. The fact that they were grasshoppers was not the enemy's perception of them. It was their own perception of themselves in the light of the enemy. It was untrue. Only Joshua and Caleb had a different view of things. They said, let's go up, let's go in, and let us possess the land that the Lord God promised our fathers. They, you know, and this is true of every generation. There's only a few in every congregation. That is ready for inheritance. There's always the ten versus the two. And let me just say this, not just for us, for, for generally, the church generally. Most Christians are simply going to die and go to heaven. Few on the earth are going to literally manage issues of inheritance. Now I want to say to us as a congregation, we must not be like that. Amen? I trust that you are, you are passionate about your pursuit to, to access your inheritance in God. Amen? To access the things and to fulfill the will of God for your life. For your area of responsibility and the doing of the will of the Lord to grow. But if your identity is in serious question, if you don't know who you are as God's son, and I can, I can purport, I can espouse, I can, I can lay claim all day long, I am God's son, I am God's son, God is my Father. Then the Lord says, let me see, let me test this issue. Are you willing to obey whatever I say to you? Hmm? Because He who loves me, the Bible says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not so? If you love me, you keep my commandments. So I can conclude clinically, diagnostically, based on the authority of Scripture, that if a son of God does not obey the God that he purports to be his father, based on the authority of Scripture, not on Randolph's opinion, based on the authority of Scripture, I can conclude you do not love God or as much as you can say it. I test your love for him by the extent of your obedience to his word. Not so? Remember John fourteen twenty one? We had this in Jesus in the in the 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 the, the Primacy of the Word series. It was a key scripture that I taught you. And I, I, I think I quoted this verse at every session of that entire series. It's, it goes like this. He who has my words and keeps them. Two things. He who has my words 
and keeps them. Repeat after me. He who has my words and keeps them. He says, will be loved of my Father. And my Father and I will come to Him. And we will disclose ourselves to Him. We will disclose ourselves to Him. Amen? And you know, it's so tempting to disobey God. Now, if you want divine disclosure, if you want the divine to disclose itself to you, the means through which it happens is this. I mean, I don't discount the need to pray all the time. I don't discount the need to separate yourself in a time of prayer and fasting. We must do that and draw near to God like I encourage you in the time of worship. But the primary means for God to disclose himself to you is having and keeping. He who has my words and keeps them will be loved of me. My father and I will love him. And what, we will, what will we do? We will come to you. You know, have you ever experienced this? At times when you were tempted to disobey God, but you, you, you had guts and courage, and you said, in spite of the temptation not to obey, I will obey. Stick to my gun. Obey him. Don't you not sense the drawing near of the Lord? He who has and keeps. Father and I will come to him, and we will what? We will disclose our self to him. And I want to encourage you. If you neglect the primary medium by which the presence of God in your life is validated, that primary medium is having and keeping word. Repeat after me, having and keeping word. So don't vacillate in expressions of your obedience. You know, I say this almost like a stretch record this time of the year. You know, I've on record for if you look at all the my exhortations in December, I say this every year. In this season, in the month of December, it's amazing how the flesh and its temptations rise to such height, and credible people fall prey to this because we are not vigilant in the spirit. Amen. We are different. The Bible says we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So have your difference, your distinction. I'll show you in a few weeks' time. There's a verse in in Exodus 12 where God said, I will separate between you and the Egyptians. In other words, God is saying, I will draw a clear line of distinction between my people and who the Egyptians are. If you are to be distinguished from the world, you've got to have distinctives. A distinctive, it's a lovely word is a feature or character that is part of you that separates you clearly from what is opposite or untrue. So don't lose your distinctives. Don't lose those expressions of obedience, which when people look at you, they know of a truth. That is kingdom. That is son of God. That is God put on display before men. Amen? So don't do it. Amen? Um, I told you we committed to tithe. Our tithes and offerings are 20% of any money that hits our hand. And recently, uh, in this week, someone blessed us. And in the light of the magnanimous needs we were facing, I said to Renee, 
Well, we know the principle. Let's stick to our guns. Let's stick to what we know, our commitment. Let's not rob God in tithes and offerings. Everyone say, and offerings. Right? And offerings. So in my mind, let me just say this. For me, to tithe is non-negotiable. To give first fruit is not negotiable. Those things I don't, I don't trespass. I listened to a teaching by Thamo yesterday, his Kingdom Economic series that he did. I think it was in Santon, so I was listening to a few sessions. And um, I was very encouraged. It was, you must listen to it on his website. There are three different Kingdom Economics teachings on Thamo's website, and each has like about six or seven sessions. And um, he said these areas, in these words, are no trespass signs. He said in your spirit, in your mind, you must put a big billboard there, no trespass. In other words, you don't touch that. It belongs to the, to the Lord. Now, let me just say this. Repeat after me. He who has my words and keeps them, he will be loved of my Father. It says, myself and my Father will come to him, and we will show ourselves to him. So when does God disclose and reveal himself? When he sees the Son having and keeping commandments. Amen? Having and keeping word is the platform for the divine disclosure of the nature of God to you. Amen? And I want to encourage you. The moment we did that, you know, the Bible says, um, when you give, give, not grudgingly, not of necessity, or of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes says this, he who, he who sows weeping will come doubtfully with joy bearing the seed or bearing the harvest. Yeah? And I want to encourage you, um, and just about two or three days later, the Lord um, blessed us with that and more. I'm telling this as a testimony to you. God will not fail you. Tell your neighbor, God will not fail you. If you take the courage, say, God, I put you first. I'm a living testimony. Say, God will not fail. God will not fail you. And so, um, in leaving Egypt, so what I'm saying is this, listen carefully. Your behavior will demonstrate where you are in your journey. Right? Mary said this to those uh, who were serving wine at the first wedding in Cana. Whatever he says, do it. Don't count the cost. Last week I shared with you, Paul before King Agrippa says, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Can you, can you stand with one day be, before men and say, Oh, brethren, I was not disobedient. Let me just say this. God will never fail the obedient son. Right? You might cringe. Sometimes you might grit your teeth in how you obey. But obey you still do. You might say, even if I do this to our perish, perish we will. But will never be said of us, we did not obey him. The Bible says he became obedient where? Philippians 2. God has given him a name of every other name. Right? 
It says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal at God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a what? The form, the, the similitude of a servant. Then it says this, and he became obedient. Where? Unto death. I'm encouraging you. You can't sow disobedience in 2014 and expect a harvest of blessing in 2015. You position yourself for breakthrough. I said this to Renee. I taught extensively on the prosperity of the soul. Remember the old series we did? The prosperity of the soul. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health even as what? Even as your soul prospers. In that series, we did a segment where in order to keep your soul pure, your mind, your will, and your emotions, I demonstrated to you from the Bible that breakthrough for people came. Breakthrough for people came, um, even economically, for people that were positioned accurately relationally. Remember? If you seek to honor God in all of your relationships, and you do that consistently, you will come in a season where it's time for God to honor you. Because what have you done to the principle? You've taken, Lord, I've taken your word and I've obeyed it with all of my might. And I've done so on a perpetual, consistent basis. Right? I've not murdered Abel when I could. Remember when Cain killed Abel? The ground withheld its, its strength from him. Remember all the issues? Right? Every case study that we examined proved this. The moment the Son of God relates to people accurately in all of his relationships, to his spiritual father, to his spouse or wife, Remember the, 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 the one verse in Malachi? Uh, uh, the man is weeping. Why? We've given you, have not blessed us. And God says, but you've been unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So how can I honor this offering of yours when you're unfaithful in terms of a, a marriage relationship? So an offering loses power. It loses strength. When relation, any, in that context, the marriage relationship is cited. But literally, when any relationship is not honorable before the Lord, any offering you give will not be acceptable. It loses force. It loses power. It loses representation in the, in the spirit. Amen? And um, I said this to Renee. Um, I said at one point this week, I said, you know why this is happening? We've been faithful. We've been consistent and we've been faithful. I said, this is happening because we've honored all relationships. Um, when we literally had nothing, we would still invite and entertain people. And let me just say this. If Renee stands behind this pulpit and gives you clinical testimony of how the hour before the people are arriving, provision comes. But we just took a step of faith. Come for supper. Come uh, and join us. It isn't a bit to, to build relationships. And literally an hour or two before, and we're not panicking. We thought if the people come and there's nothing, we'll just say, how's it? You know, how's <laughs> some water, a few biscuits, tea, you know. But literally the Lord broke through. Why? God saw our hearts were set on building relationally. Right? And God will not fail you. Tell you never, God will not fail. So don't count resources 
when commands from the Lord are given, even through me, to you. Don't say, but what if, what about rands and cents? I'm giving you keys for your breakthrough. I want you to grow and prosper. And I've, I've, I've basically dissected the word and say, do this and see what? And see what the Lord will, will do for you. Amen? God is no man's debtor. He is faithful and true to his word. But so long as you remain in, within an Egyptian mindset, do you know, after they left Egypt, they started to murmur very soon afterwards. And we dealt with this case study as well last in, in this year. Which says the mixed multitude among them, the rabble, remember? The rabble had greedy desires. When Israel left Egypt, they celebrated the Passover, which facilitated a process of migration to a place of greater accuracy in God, which for them was Canaan. The Bible says, if, if this side of the church here represents Egypt, and so as we cross this Red Sea and we're moving, the Bible says, when they left, who left with them? Mixed multitude. A heterogeneous group of people um, that influenced Israel, the Bible says, with the wrong desires. And what the Bible says, they began to murmur. They murmured three, at three levels. Pastor Foy taught me this. I'll never forget his sermon. They murmured against God's leader, Moses, or God first himself. They murmured against God. They murmured against the leader of God. They said, who gives you the right to lead? Then it says, they murmured against God's provision. What is this manner? The Bible says their hearts loathed, despised the manner. And they were prone to revert. They said, what about the leeks and the garlics of Egypt? They wanted to revert back, listen carefully, to a predetermined packaged diet that was predictable and that was on time every time, every day in a realm. Yet God was teaching them faith and obedience in their journey. That if you trust me, I will provide for you every single day. Man will not live by... Your, our, and Jesus said, he says, the Lord provided manna or bread for your fathers in the wilderness. But it was to teach them a principle that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if you can just say to yourself, um, please, brethren, I know 2014 is winding down. 2015 is about to begin. Your life is either going to change or 2014's experience will be revisited upon you for 2015. You have to decide as a family, um, as, as an individual, will we obey God come hell or high water? Will we obey God at all costs? Are we going to subject our lives like Jesus, become obedient even unto death? Even if this is going to kill us, so long as we stand before our Father and say, see, we are your sons. Look at how we live by your word. That has got to be the new uh, requirement for the phase and the journey to which we are now venturing, to which we are now going into. And I'm telling you, God said this in Deuteronomy. I led you in appraising when they did a review of the journey. God says, I led you all these 40 years to teach you one thing, that man will not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God is saying, so as long as you take to learn that, so long will your wilderness be. It's very important. I want to repeat this. God is saying, for as long as it takes for Randolph to learn this principle, he must not live by bread alone, but he must live and subject his life in obedience to every command that comes out of God's mouth. He will always be in a place called the wilderness journeys. And he can be at the threshold, right? Uh, crossing over, his inheritance is almost perceptible. You can almost taste and see that you are right at the threshold, at the precipice of accessing what God has got in store for you. You can come so near and be rejected by God. You know what the Lord says in the book of Jude? There's a frightening verse there in the book of Jude. He says that he led, let's read it. I know all this is prophetic. I haven't really got into the teaching yet. The book of Jude. I think it's Jude. I hope it's there. Where it says he led and he wasn't happy with him. Yeah, verse 5. Jude 1 verse 5 says the following. Now I desire... The book of Jude is a short book. It's only one chapter. It's tucked towards the end of the New Testament. And Jude says this, Jude 1 verse 5. Now I desire to remind you, though you know once more, once for all, that the Lord, after saving people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. You know, that's a very sad verse right there. God, you know, if you just read the... the the verbs, after saving, I destroy. How can God save you to destroy you? Right? In other words, it says, God, after saving many people, his people, out from the land of Egypt, he sought to destroy them, simply because they were not compliant to his dictates. They did not believe his word. And I want to encourage all of us, harness and subject your entire life for 2015, to a place of heightened obedience. You're going to see on Facebook in the next few weeks until 31st of December, there's going to be all sorts of prophecies about what 2015 represents. 90% of them are going to be very, very positive, and the Lord's going to be, 2015's going to be your year of breakthrough and productivity. I like that. It's fine. You know, I read some of it. I like it. Amen. You know, I believe it. Hallelujah. That's my portion. But as I've said also every year, 2015 for you will be whatever you determine it to be. Right? Irrespective of who prophesies what over me right now, I know that I can condition my year next year simply by my internal act of my resolve to obey whatever God says. Amen? Come on, do you believe that, church? Your year will be exactly as you determine it to be by your, by your positioning of daring 
courageous obedience. Even if your Naomi says to you, Ruth, go mark the place where Boaz is lying. Look at his feet. Mark the place on the threshing floor. Uncover his feet and there lie. Now that, for Ruth, was she became obedient unto death. For to do that, um, that act was an act of prostitutes that were courting um, a man. They were saying to the man, my services are available if you approve. Have me for the night at a cost, at a price. It was the traditional, uh, for us today we stand on corners of streets. Right? In that culture, the woo, the lure, was where you lie, I come and I lay at your feet. But here's the thing. If the man got up and disapproved of you, according to the law, he could order your death. So it was a very daring thing to do. But Naomi said to the son, the father says to the son, go do it. The Bible says, and she went and did it. Dying unto self. It's like Isaac going up Mount Moriah. The son knowing my dad is about to kill me. Let me just say this. Isaac knew what was going what for what, as we would say. He wasn't oblivious to the fact that I am the sacrifice. Which young, strong, virile young man will allow an aged Abraham to tie his hands and his feet on an altar and not rebel? He knew I lay my life down to the dictates of my father. Because I trust in the fact, listen carefully, that he heard God. So I willingly offer my life, my resources, my time, etc. to the purposes of God locked up, vested in and through him. And I will not rebut, I will not um, rebel against the process. And you know the story. The Lord revealed his nature to God as who? Jehovah, Jireh, a a ram was caught in the thicket, and the revelation of God, Jehovah Jireh, came to who? To Abraham. But who was also there? Isaac was also on the mount. And I said to you this in the past, that revelation to Isaac forever impacted him. He was a young man. He never ever had provision issues throughout his life. Not once Isaac had. The Bible says even when he was old, even in a time of famine, he sold. And in the same year, he reaps a hundredfold. This issue about God will come through for me. Picture Isaac as an old man. Picture Isaac around the campfire telling stories. You know when, when guys tell stories, they always want to outdo the other. You know when they say things, oh, that's nothing. Wait till you hear this. Oh, that's nothing. Wait till you hear my. I, I, I can't picture the scene. Isaac with his, with his group of friends on a Friday night. And they all tell me, guys, now is my turn. You haven't heard. When I was 17 years old, I submitted to the will of my father. I willingly laid down my life. The bali was about to, to, to drive the, 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 the knife into my chest. An angel, God himself spoke. And he says, uh, now he so said to my father, now I know it in your heart. Remember, he's hearing all of this. It's not just Abraham's experience. The son is privy to what is going on here. And God provided a ram. And my father called the name of the Lord, the Lord Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is provision. Isaac 
never had a providence issue all the days of his life. So did his son Jacob was imparted, the same spirit, was imparted generationally. And I want to encourage you, if you simply bring your life to a new place where you say, Lord, even if it means I'm going to lay my life down, I will obey all that you say. And I want to encourage you with this. Resolve this. Because things are, are moving to a head. Things are moving to a head. It's nice when there's no watch there. <laughs> it can go the whole day. Amen? I know it's hot and it's a bit uncomfortable. But please, I, uh, uh, don't allow the discomfort in the flesh to override your desire to hear God's word. Your spirit should be poised, buoyant, and positioned to hear what the Lord is, what the Lord is, what the Lord is saying to us. Amen. Things are moving to a head. And in the exodus from the house of bondage, Egypt is a house of bondage that enslaves, that enslaves men. I told you that it makes you impotent and reluctant to pursue the path of freedom. Secondly, it produces fear, and Egypt entraps you in the realm of fear. Um, I've taught this at length. If you need to hear this, you need to access the CDs. I also said to you, Egypt represents bondage, and bondage is a consequence of being overcome. For, for by what the scripture says, for by whatever man is overcome, he is in bondage too. Fourthly, Egypt prevents increase and and growth of of influence. Increase and and growth of influence. I'll, I'll probably pick up that. There's some aspects I want to teach, but maybe next week. Egypt is threatened by the development of the sons of of Israel. Okay? Threatened by the development of the sons of Israel. And then it's a place of, it was a place of breakthrough that changed character or nature and became a place of bondage. Now, I want to teach that next week. How? Listen carefully. A person or context or an environment changes its prophetic spiritual identity when the fathering grace, when it's severed from fathering grace. The nature of Egypt changed once the next Pharaoh came into power. The Bible says, and that Pharaoh did not know Joseph. But the previous Pharaoh, Joseph boldly said, I am a father to him. So who fathered Pharaoh? Joseph. But when that Pharaoh dies, the next Pharaoh, unfathered, changes the nature of the place that once was a place of provision, now becomes a place of bondage when that environment or person is disconnected from a fathering grace. Be careful. Tell your neighbor, don't disconnect from fathering. I've seen how even the nature and character of people can change once there's this disconnect from a fathering grace. Right? This, this severing, this clear line. And then suddenly you find yourself doing things or even saying things you would not ordinarily say and or do. Right? And then dishonor and disrespect starts to creep in. Then you find yourself, hey, my identity now was supposed to be son, but I'm an Egyptian slave. 
And I cannot fulfill purpose once this issue has been restored. Amen? Once this issue has been restored. Um, maybe let's talk a bit about it. Go to the scriptures. Um, where are we? Genesis 50, verse 24. We'll be about 10 or 15 minutes. There's so many issues I want to talk about. Time is just against us. Genesis 15, verse 26. These, these are the words of Joseph. Joseph says to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up out from this land, to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Jacob is his father. Joseph's one of 12 brothers. So he's like fourth generation. There's Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob, 12 sons. Joseph's one of them. Not so? And Joseph's used powerfully by God to preserve the family in Egypt. Remember those famine, they all came down, and they live in the land of Goshen, which was the best land in the whole of Egypt. Pharaoh favors them. So the land becomes a land of providence. But Joseph's words to his brothers as he's about to die. Listen carefully, what does he say? He says, I'm about to die, but God will surely take you out and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham. If you want to make a note there, it's Genesis 15, where God promised to Abraham that, that his people will be in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, but afterwards he will take them out. So before he dies, Joseph is putting them in remembrance of the prophecy and the, and the purpose of God relative to Egypt. What is Joseph saying to them? Guys, don't become too fixed here. Because according to God's word, he brought us here temporarily. But there's coming a day when we have to, you, consist, you consciously have to reposition yourself towards going back. Tell your neighbor we're going back to an accurate identity. Temporary provision can lull you into complacency. Listen to me very carefully. I've seen it. I've seen how when God breaks through for people, and there's no serious need in your life, that you get lulled to staying in that phase, and you don't in your mind revert to, you don't believe that you are in crisis. Because all of your no needs are taken care of. I mean, think about it, brethren. If all your no needs are taken care of, even if you're in serious crisis far away from the purposes of God, there's no due recognition of that fact simply because I'm fine. Hmm? Usually what God has to do is bring you to a place where you, can, you are forced to, to call on Him. God has to take away the props to show you where you truly are. That is why I taught you in the primary, Primacy of the Word series. Remember we did a section from the book of Deuteronomy where God, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember? Um, it speaks about the subtle effects of provision in making one to forget the principles of God's word. Remember that? Remember he said, the Lord says, and when you come into the land and you are blessed, 
And when you come into the land and you own houses that you did not build, you have farms, you reap harvests that you did not sow for, thou shalt not forget the Lord your God. Right? And, and, and he says, do not forget the Lord your God by disobeying his commandments. And I gave you this principle, which I repeated over and over again. I said this to you. God is forgotten when his principles are no longer adhered to. God in that verse says, do not forget me by disobeying. So I taught you, whenever then you disobey, what have you done? Come on, answer, what have you done? You've forgotten God. But you must say, but Renov, I don't forget him. No, I, you, I can I concur with you. you. You might give assent in your mind. I haven't forgotten God, but by your disobedience, you have factored him out of your mentality. When you forget, what are we saying? You know, if you ask somebody to do something and say, oh, sorry, I forgot. What does the person say to you? You told me to do it, but at the time I was supposed to do it, the doing of it was factored out of my mind. When is God factored out of your mind? When you disobey his commandments. It's like God doesn't exist. It's like, I know what you said about this in your word, but I know you said I must forgive him, but I know you said I must do this, but the moment you say but and you disobey God's word, on the, on the authority of the scriptures, you have forgotten him. Right? And this famous verse is quoted in verse 18. Therefore thou shalt not forget that it is the Lord your God that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he might establish his covenant that he made between you and and him. And Joseph realizes, this is carefully, Joseph had prophetic foresight to know that Egypt can lull you into complacency. So he feels he's about to give up the ghost and to die. He calls everybody and he says, remember, remember the destination is not Egypt. We're going to go back to the land that God promised Abraham, three generations, Abraham, and even, and even Isaac. And listen to what he says. Listen carefully. He says, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Joseph made them swear on an oath. Guys, when you go, don't even leave my bones here. Right? Take my bones with you. There are some people that probably didn't leave Egypt that night of the Exodus because they did not believe Moses through unbelief. But I'd leave even bones believe Moses. Dead bones left. Dead bones crossed the Red Sea. Do you know where Joseph's bones were buried? Dead bones saw the fall of Jericho. Dead bones crossed over and possessed the land. And they buried Joseph's bones at Shechem. The Bible says, they buried him there. And Abraham's well was at Shechem. He was reconnected back to a place of accurate spiritual alignment. Now, brethren, if bones can do it, can't you? Tell your neighbor, you got more than bones. Dead man's bones. He's saying, you know, Joseph, Joseph could have very, very well said, you know, guys, I don't know how long you're going to be here, but please position yourselves to go back. Don't become so complacent because he had prophetic. He says, the nature of this land, 
that is now favoring us is subtly going to change and they're going to imprison and, be, and deal cruelly with us. The place of your provision can become the place of your enslavement. The place where God dealt bountifully with you, if you're not careful for its ultimate object, could be the realm that imprisons you for the next phase of your journey. So always keep your eye on the objective. This is why I would say, always keep your eye on the original intent of God. What did God say? Now, if those men were wise, they would have, in the time of their favor, particularly when Pharaoh's changed, the one Pharaoh died, and the new Pharaoh came on the scene. They would and should have had the wisdom to negotiate, start negotiating their way back to, back to, 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 to Canaan. Right? But Joseph says, guys, okay, I'm not going to go back. I fulfilled my part of God's purposes. You dealt harshly with me, my brothers. You sold me, but God sent me to preserve many people alive. I've played my part in this whole grand scheme of things. Now I'm telling you, even when I die, my flesh will probably decay by the time you leave and only bones will be left. My skeleton will not be buried in Egypt. Take me and take me to the land of my forefathers and there bury me. I'll talk more later next week of how Joseph disconnected with an empire that he built an economic system that he built. Remember, by faith, Moses left Egypt. Hebrews 11 says, by faith. Everyone say, by faith. By faith, Moses left Egypt. Even, I would say, by faith, Joseph also forsook, forsook the wisdom and the skill that God had granted to him in one dispensation of time, in difference or in preference for a, a better, a higher order of life. Even if he wasn't going to experience it personally. Think about this. All Joseph knew about Canaan was growing up in Jacob's house for at least 16 years. Because he was 17 when he was sold, remember? All he knew about this land called Canaan, he knew of it. I grew up there for 16 years, but I grew up in a house of brothers that hated me. But he's saying, I know this is going to be the land of of, of flowing with hills and valleys and the, the providence of the Lord and the blessing and the favor of God. Even if I don't experience it personally while I live, he's saying, at least, at least let my bones taste it. At least put me back. Everyone says structure. What do bones represent? Everyone says structure. If you break your skeleton, if you break your bone, you break your capacity to be structurally whole, not so? The science of orthopedics is very, very important. You know the word reformation in Hebrews chapter 8? The church currently is in the realm of reformation. Everyone say reformation. Not revival. Not revival. Reformation. Revivals come and they go. But reformation comes to reset bones. The Greek word for reformation is diothosis. Everyone say diothosis. Thosis is the Greek from which we derive the English word orthopedic. Diothosis, orthopedic. So in Hebrews 8 where it says until the times of reformation, which I believe we are in a time of, of reformation, where things in the church are being set right. When, 
You know, to, to, to reset bones, usually you have to, to break them in order to reset them. And so they can be aligned. If your bones are, are not aligned, your external form will look deformed. Not so? Because bones give structure. And what I'm after for all of us, brethren, is start to put structure to your life. Be disciplined. Put structure. Put structure to your giving. Put structure to your loving. Put structure to your faithfulness. Put structure to your... In other words, what I'm saying is, consolidate and strengthen the thing so, so firmly that it will not fall apart. Right? It will not fall apart. Don't be like Ezekiel's bones where the a, a valley of bones unconnected, disjoint. Be connected. In this house, by your connectedness, each bone to one bone, you give the house solidness. You anchor, you give the house structure so that even bones can enjoy the blessings of, of the new land. Amen? And so he says, so Joseph died at the age of 110 years old. Right, the next verse, he died at 110. He was embalmed and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And if you read the account, when they left, the Bible says, uh, Moses gave orders concerning his bones. Because he knew his last will. You know, I don't know how long. Now Moses and, 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 and Joseph are years apart from each other. Not so. Right? That died. And then after Joseph, the nation starts to grow and multiply. And the new Pharaoh starts to get a bit uneasy and insecure about the growing nature of this, of this land. Here is Hebrews 11.22. I was going to quote the verse for our record. It says, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. And he gave orders concerning his bones. I like this verse because other verses say concerning faith, that the just shall live by faith. He has a man dying in faith. The principle of faith governed his life. The principle of faith is what? It's sight concerning the unseen realm. It's sight concerning the future. That's faith. For we walk by faith and not by, by sight. So faith for us is sight into a realm unseen. The Bible says Joseph made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. And how did he do it? By faith. Question, did he see it? He saw it prophetically. That's why he mentioned it. He did not experience it, but he saw it years to come. And that's why he gave them orders. When you go, not if you go, he says, when you are out of here, please take my bones with you back to the land of my forefathers. And I want to encourage you. How is your sight into the unseen realm? And I want to encourage the church, please, brethren, listen, heighten your sight into the future. Because how you base your present behavior is dependent on what you see in the future. Very often, we live poorly now, we act poorly now, we say the wrong things now, because we have no sight of the future. He who has prophetic perspective concerning things to come, 
will so position himself accurately in the year and now, even to the extent of giving orders concerning you. Because you see a reality to come. But he was blind to the purposes of God. Will be undisciplined now. He was blind to what is to come. Will be nonchalant now. If you knew, you know, if the disciples knew that Jesus, that Judas was just about to come into the garden to betray the Lord. What did the Lord ask them? The three. He said, watch with me for one hour and pray with me. Remember the Bible says he came and three occasions he found them what? He found them sleeping. And he says on the third time, he says, what could you not watch with me? One hour, and Jesus makes this statement, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. The Bible says, for their eyes were heavy with sleep. Okay, these guys didn't sleep the previous night, I think, for some reason. Now think about, is Jesus being unrealistic? Lord, you know everything. Aren't you being unrealistic to ask three of your closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, to observe an hour prayer meeting when you can see the guys are finished. Now here's the thing. Usually divine expectations come abroad to bear upon your physicality and are not contingent or dependent upon what you are experiencing physically. When that is the case, you have got two decisions. Will you then subject yourself to fleshly limitation and sleep? Or... If you knew, if you knew, if you knew that an hour and 15 minutes from now, Judas is going to enter the same garden with Roman officers. They're going to take our Lord, imprison him, and they're going to start a process where the cross will become a reality. He's about to die. His ministry and our experience with him, as we know it, is about to be terminated. If they had prophetic sight about that question, do you think they would have slept? What does prophetic sight do? Prophetic sight causes you to overrun or to override any limitation you experience in your body. I guarantee you, if you just know what's going to happen tomorrow. If the Lord reveals to you what's going to happen this weekend, Let's say tonight, let's say tomorrow, about something major in your life that requires your diligence and, and your, your position in the Spirit, in prayer or in fastings. If you know it, it, your knowledge of it empowers your discipline in the time in which you are in. Not so? And I want to encourage you, I feel the burden of the Lord fast this morning. God is saying, church, open your eyes. Don't let things persist as per the norm. It's not business as usual. God is putting an expectation upon us. Things are about to, to heighten. They said when Judas came in, he who betrays you is at hand. And once the betrayal started, there was like a domino effect. You could not stop whatever happened after that, that thing. But prior to that, he says to them, watch with me just for... One hour. And when they could not, what does he say? Your spirit is, I know your spirit is willing. I know, what he's saying to them is this. I'm not chastising you, my disciples, for your lack of prayer. 
Because I can see you want to. Just your eyes are heavy. But he's saying, the, the, the subtext, the implied thing is this. He's saying, your spirit must be so strong, must be so willing, it must override the drawbacks and the limitations you experience in the flesh. And I want to encourage you that if, if we're going to leave Egypt, that this must be the case concerning us. Just quickly, so by faith. Everyone say by faith. I tell you never open your eyes. Please open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. We are far too blind. We are far too oblivious. We're like dof in the spirit. You know the word dof? Da. When you say dof and da in the natural, it's like, hello, anybody home? You know? But people are so unintelligent spiritually. You're intelligent on a whole host of natural things, but when it comes to things of the spirit, it's like total blackout. Tell your neighbor, upgrade your prophetic sight. Upgrade, brethren. See. And for seeing, you will behave differently. Joseph. You know, he could have well said, Hey guys, I've done my part. I've played my role. I've honored God. I've kept my integrity. I've fought off Potiphar's wife. I've forgiven brothers. I've kept all the principles that I know to be true. I, I, with with, with, with uh, prophetic dream interpretation, I interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Baker's dream, Butler's dream. I had a good life. I got, I got a wonderful wife. I got, I got two sons here, Ephraim and Manasseh. Our, our father prophesied over them in the previous chapter. Got powerful prophecies. My part is done. But I like this. It says, as he was dying. He says, I'm not finished yet. One more thing. When I die, my world, please note my last words. You know, when a, man, a dying man's last words are probably his most important. Eh? There you've got no time for fairy tales, illustrations. Yeah, you just get to the point. Not so? And he says, by faith, I want to die in faith. By faith, Joseph, as he was dying, spoke of the exodus. You know what? He, he concluded his part, but he spoke concerning the next phase of the journey. And he still said, I may not be alive, but take my bones with you. I still want to be a part of that process. Do you know they carried those bones for 40 years? Long time? Everywhere? The time that, you know what? I can just even want to dramatize this. Because you know, wherever they went, they pitched the tabernacle. Cloud stopped. When the cloud moved, they moved. That's so? all. This went on for 40 years. I can just imagine Moses. Okay, uh, Kohath, the uh, priestly type, take the, the, the contents of the tabernacle down, drop everything. Judah go first. Judah always led. Okay, Judah, lead the process, follow the cloud. Oh, by the way, don't forget Joseph's bones. Joseph's bones are the year. All right, let's go. Right? Bones went everywhere with him. Bones. Them bones, them bones. Them Joseph's bones. <laughs> the bones went everywhere. Joseph, as he was dying. You know, Joseph lived a full life. Even in death, he enjoyed some journeys. Most people who died were buried in some spot and they stayed there. This man is moving even in his death. I can picture in his spirit, he must be watching in the clouds. Hey, guys, what's happening? Don't forget the bones. Eh? Take my bones with you. He's not, he's not there in his spirit. He must be saying, 
my bones. There was something significant. And maybe some of you can study about the greater significance of Joseph's bones. Right? He gave instruction. He was not happy that even his bones will remain in a condition of slavery. Not even my bones will stay in this land. This land blessed me at one point, but it changed nature, it changed character. It's now becoming slave. I am going out and I am, am leaving. Amen? Okay, time is gone. I will not finish. Um, I'm leaving this thing hanging, suspending in the middle of nowhere, but uh, we'll pick it up next week, Sunday. Amen? And I want to encourage you. Escape Egypt. Tell your neighbor, escape Egypt. Do all that you can to come out of a wrong mentality, wrong purpose, and fulfill your journey in your destiny in the Lord. Amen? We obey whatever He tells you. Whatever He tells you, simply oh, obey. No matter how hard or how difficult it is, God will not fail you. Those words of Thamo have been ringing in my mind since yesterday. God will not fail you. God will not fail you. Repeat that to your neighbor. Stand with me. Stand with me. God will not fail you. God will not fail you. Amen? God will not fail you. Say to a few people around you, God will not fail you. God will not fail you.